It really depends on the child. It's really about selecting the most appropriate method um, as, and children will have their own communication system which is made up of many different methods to communicate across different situations with different people. Welcome to the Centre of Research Excellence and Cerebral Palsy podcast. We record live at the Murdoch Children's Research Institute in Melbourne. In this episode of the podcast, Alternate and Augmentative Communication, or AAC, for children with cerebral palsy. We hear from Gemma Holleran, a speech pathologist with Scope Victoria, and Katie Lyon, Manager of Communication Services at Scope. We all communicate in so many ways for so many purposes every day. Katie reminds us to keep this in mind when working with children in this area. So we need to keep this in mind around um, w- around the different types of communicative functions that that we do throughout the day and keep this in mind when we're working with children around it's not just all about requesting, for example, or it's not just all about greeting. There are many functions that we communicate and also many methods that we use uh, to um, communicate these functions. So we may have requested things today. I'm sure many of us have heard the attention directing mum many times already today, Um, perhaps some rejections at home as well. Um, So, yeah, keep this in mind that there are many functions of communication as well. Now here's Gemma. So as well as there being many uh, functions and ways of communicating, we know that when we're working with children um, and children with cerebral palsy that it's really important for them to have something to say as well um, and as someone to communicate to. So we really need all of these areas in order to have a successful interaction with someone. We also need to have a desire to communicate. We need to have that help create that opportunity and that need and want to have something to say and that's really important. So just a little bit about communication difficulties and cerebral palsy. So we know that communication difficulties can be caused from a number of reasons. Um, Motor problems, including muscle tones. So we know that uh, dysarthria is is a form of having a speech difficulty relating to articulation, but also motor planning and intellectual disability or learning difficulties can impact on a child with cerebral palsy's ability to communicate. Um, We also know that children with cerebral palsy have a high incidence of multiple disabilities, including epilepsy, vision impairment, hearing impairment, and all of those factors um, combine and can can make communication more difficult um, for different reasons. So it's really important to think about typical language development when we're talking about children with any form of disability or developmental delay and what that looks like. So I always like to remind people um, what we see happening with newborns. So we obviously see the first words occurring around 12 months, uh, approximately 50 words at 18 months. And then once children have enough words, obviously they start combining those uh, to make two word phrases. And that takes quite a long time, really, when you think about um, that process. So how do typical children learn to talk? Uh, How many times do you think they hear the same words said over and over before we hear any spoken words back? Uh, So there's some research that says typically developing children will hear 4,000 to 6,000 words per day for the first year, and that's before we expect anything back. 
So we really need to keep this in mind when we're thinking about the young people we're working with with cerebral palsy and think about just how much input we're giving typically developing children before we expect sometimes just one word, one word back. And it might be a word that maybe only mum and dad understand and, and everybody's okay with that. Um, that's something that we really need to remind parents as well as therapists or other professionals. Um, it's really important. Okay, so we've got some background. Let's now turn to the subject area of Katie and Gemma's presentation. Here's Katie. So you may have heard this term AAC or alternative and augmentative communication. Some of you will know what this means already, but for others, it may have been just a term that you've heard and not really understood the meaning of. So really, AAC stands for alternative and augmentative communication. Alternative meaning that it is instead of speech. So for um, some people, they may lose their speech either temporarily or permanently. For others, they may not develop speech. And so they may look at using other forms of communication other than speech um, uh, for instead of speech. Or it may be to help with or to add to speech, so to augment their speech. If you think about someone who uh, is using the sound, the vocalisation with no sort of visual cue, it may be very difficult for the communication partner to understand what that person is attempting to say. If they then couple that with a visual cue such as a gesture or a sign for drink and say the communication partner will then be able to understand that communication attempt more. So they've used another form of communication, a, a gesture or a sign, coupled with their attempt at speech to be understood, to have their message understood. And we need to think about that for our children with cerebral palsy because some of them are at risk of only developing limited speech uh, and so they may need to look at other forms of communication. There are a number of different methods of AAC and often they're divided into three categories. No tech, low tech or high tech. So when we're talking about no tech, we're talking about things such as keyword sign and gesture. So that's where, and I've got an example which might be difficult for our viewers at home to see, but um, I'll just explain that a little bit here in that uh, keyword sign and gesture is borrowing the signs from the deaf community, so using Auslan signs, but using it in a way to just highlight the keywords of our spoken language. So we will speak as we will normally speak, but we will highlight what we say with some keywords or, uh, sorry, with some key gestures or key signs to add visual cues, to add more concrete cues to what we're saying. Low-tech, so low-tech uh, paper-based resources such as communication boards and books and I'll show you some uh, pictures of those and also explain that in a bit, bit more detail but they are low-tech, they're paper-based resources that we can use to communicate and high-tech, so things such as an iPad with a communication app loaded onto it or a uh, more dedicated dynamic display device such as a Dynavox, or even something as simple as a Big Mac switch, which says the same message over and over again, a recorded message over and over again, um, but is still considered high-tech. And there are the low-tech options. We have things such as top left there, a, a dressing communication board or aided language display that might have pictures, um, 
that you can use to communicate with in that environment, so in that situation. But take the child out of that situation and they're not going to have access to the vocabulary that they need to communicate. So that's where you might have something like a pod or a pragmatic organisation dynamic display, which is much more of a complex multi-level communication book um, that can have many, many, many pages and many, many, many vocabulary items that can the child can use across a number of situations with a number of people across their day. So you might also have, I've got a, a photo of a timetable here or a schedule in the morning, so a morning schedule there. So a, as I said, a visual support that helps the child to uh, anticipate what's going to happen, but also to uh, helps with their understanding or their comprehension of what they need to do to get a task complete. And then we've also got up here a, an example of a book about me um, where it's not actually designed for the child themselves to use to point to to communicate, for example, but it's um, designed for the communication partner. It's a support for the communication partner to be able to assist that child or to um, support that child in a more consistent way. So it has information about how the child likes to be supported across their day. Um, and that really helps when, they, uh, you know, we've got a number of children who have so many people in and out of their lives every day. It helps to have a consistent approach with the way that they're supported throughout their, throughout their day. You can find links to more information on all of these options on the Scope website at scopevic.org.au. Now, high tech. High tech is a huge area, as is low tech. Um, but high tech really um, can range as anywhere from a single message device, as I said, where you just hit the one button and it may say the same message over and over again, which can be used um, in turn-taking, for example, at school, but just in, in one activity and it would need to be re-recorded each time, through to something like uh, proloquo to go which we have up on the screen here, which is really a dynamic um, device on your iPad. We also have the static display device, sorry, the um, dynamic display devices on a dedicated communication device, such as um, a Dynavox or a MinSpeak device, for example. With all of these options, it's important to choose the right one for the child. There are, of course, a number of myths around AAC. Here's Gemma. There are a number of myths that surround the acceptance and introduction of AAC um, and there is some research to help us dispel these myths uh, for you today. So we're going to go through the key five that come from AAC research but also from our practice. So the first one is AAC is a last resort. So this is something that we hear um, a bit about that, you know, we don't, we don't want to stop somebody from talking, so AAC is the last option that we'll go for. We know now that this isn't true um, and that it's really important for children to have an early access uh, to an AAC system in order to develop their language and their communication. So as a therapist, I often talk with parents and families about the difference between speech and language, um, and the speechies here will know certainly what I'm talking about. Uh, but we want to really give a child a way to develop language whilst we're working on their speech or whilst we're seeing what's going on with their speech, particularly children with cerebral palsy we know are at risk of having speech that's hard to understand um, and we've mentioned that having AAC as a backup might be something uh, that we want to be considering. So the earlier that we give children access to that system to learn language, uh, the more we can see about what they know and what they can do and it really opens up their world to communication. So the next one is children need certain skills or to be a certain age before they can use AAC. 
so some AAC researchers, uh, Romsky and colleagues, talk about how in the past some children were deemed uh, to be excluded from using AAC because they were thought not to have the intelligence or the skills to do so. Uh, we know that, that this isn't the case um, and that there are no prerequisites for using AAC. Technology has changed to allow uh, easier access. You know, we've all seen small children using iPhones and tablets that, um, you know, adults can't do. So we really can't place limits, I think, um, on the cognitive abilities. We also know that children with cerebral palsy often find it difficult to show us what they know because of their physical limitations. So we need to be providing an option uh, that helps them develop their language in a way that's easy for them so that we can help them build their cognitive skills as well um, and show us what they are. And again, reminding us to think about that typical language development that we've spoken about. How many times do typically developing children hear those verbal words over and over before we hear any back? We really have to apply that to our kids using AAC as well. The third myth uh, that we'd like to bring to your attention is that AAC stops speech development. Uh, we have... Um, there's the, the research actually indicates that the opposite is true, as Gemma has indicated, that there is, there's speech and there's language and that if we uh, look at AAC options early on, we're actually developing that child's language um, so that when they do develop speech or if they do develop speech, they actually have access to a much wider vocabulary when they, um, when they do have that, that option of using speech. Children will use the easiest form of communication. In some cases, speech may become the primary mode of communication. So we want to give them a number of different options to communicate their message in the meantime whilst they're developing speech so that when they do develop speech, um, they will use the quickest and easiest form to get their message across and speech is obviously used around them and accepted around them uh, by their communication partners. So they're not about to go and get their book out and point to a picture when they have a, a word that is understood by their communication partner. They will use the quickest and easiest form to get their message across. But for a lot of them, it will be a mix of speech, low-tech, high-tech, no-tech, etc. and we'll give you some examples. So really, communication is multimodal, and that's something that Gemma will, will talk about. The next one, speech generating devices, so you're talking about your high tech options there, are only for children with normal or intact cognitive skills. This sort of was more, I guess, believed when, uh, when technology was so out of reach for so many people, in, particularly in terms of the expense and the cost. Um, really, uh, technology advances have meant that devices are much easier to use and readily available to children of all ages and abilities. We've seen that with some of the more mainstream tablet devices that you can now put uh, communication apps on. They're much more in reach uh, with people. And so we're now seeing that, um, as Gemma mentioned, that young children are taking to these devices and are able to show their skills regardless of what level of um, cognitive ability they have. We see lots of success in using AAC with children with a range of cognitive skills and it shouldn't be a precursor to introducing um, not only uh, a, a communication device for their expressive language but there's also the benefits of using a communication device for us to model for their receptive language and for their understanding and development of language. And the other thing is that we often can't assess the cognitive ability of children with a physical disability very well because the tests that are out there aren't, um, don't allow for that necessarily. 
The last myth there is that that we're going to address today is that high-tech devices are better than low-tech devices. And I mean, this could be said for when you're comparing any type of AAC, so no-tech versus low-tech, high-tech versus no-tech. Really, it's about there are pros and cons for both. If you think about uh, sign and gesture, one of, the, one of the pros would be that you don't need to lug a device or a book around with you to get access to your vocabulary. It's just with you. But one of the cons is that your communication partner may not understand your signs or your attempt at signing. If you think about low-tech, um, uh, you know, a communication book, for example, it is only limited to what the, if you just rely on that, you're only limited to the, the vocabulary and the words that you've got access to within that book. However, you can use it in some situations where you may not be able to use a high-tech device, such as around bath, around the bath, in the pool, for example, where you don't want to take your iPad anywhere near. It really depends on the child. It's really about selecting the most appropriate method um, as, and children will have their own communication system which is made up of many different methods to communicate across different situations with different people. There's an emerging theme here and you can probably already see it. Communication is multimodal. Here's Gemma. So that means that we use more than one way to communicate. We all do that. Katie mentioned at the beginning that we all use different ways of communicating. And for children with cerebral palsy and other complex communication needs, this is no different. So we've talked about the different options and the different types of AAC. um, But really what we see the most is that people are using a combination. So we might see somebody who has some speech, but it's quite difficult to understand. But at home with mum and dad, they understand a lot of what a child might have to say Uh, but when they're out at school or kinder with other people friends their speech might be really difficult uh, for other people to understand and interpret so they might use their uh, their ipad with an app a communication book like a pod book etc i've certainly seen children that will continue to use a keyword sign particularly for something quick like more or toilet um, because that really meets their needs as quick as possible um, in that situation but for more complex and other things they they rely on using a more complex system of language to to say something really novel or creative and that's sort of the ultimate aim yep and if I think about uh Danny, who I used, of course his name's been changed for confidentiality, but if I think about Danny, who I've, I've worked with for a number for a number of years, who's just recently um, uh, graduated from high school, he uses a whole range of communication uh, methods to communicate across his day. So at home, he relies he has cerebral palsy. At home, he relies on using speech when he can because his mum and dad understand him quite well. Uh, but when other communication partners are there, he will have to rely on other communication methods. Uh, He knows that I understand a little bit of his speech, so he will attempt to use speech as a first option. He will then back it up with me because he knows that I know his signs and I know his idiosyncratic signs. They may not be the actual sign that is in the signing dictionary, but it is the sign that I know that he uses because of his motor difficulties to get his message across. He'll use signs with me because he knows that I'm a familiar communication partner who knows sign language. And then um, when he's at school with his friends, he'll use his communication device um, with his aide who knows how to use his um, pod book, which is um, a multi-level, you know, 
complex communication um, system that is very robust and got a lot of vocabulary in it, but it does rely on the communication partner to actually know how to navigate through that book with him because he doesn't directly access it with his fingers. He actually uses it with his um, communication partner and you need to know how to access that. He'll use that. So he uses a range of communication systems. Uh, In the past few years, his literacy has improved out of sight and so now more often than not he will flick in and out of his iPad to just type and speak out his message as well. But he still has his um, his uh, communication device that has the symbol-based communication on it to as a backup when he needs to be able to communicate a message that he doesn't know how to spell, for example. So we also, having said all of that, want to respect all forms and attempts at communication. So an example of that might be um, a child playing bubbles with you. Uh, They use the keyword sign to ask for more. Uh, Something that I see um, people doing sometimes is then saying, now tell me with your book or now tell me with your talker or whatever word you might use for a communication device. That's essentially um, like asking a verbal child to say the same thing over and over. Um, So we really want to, whilst we want to support their learning and their use of their more complex form of communication system, if you like, whatever is the quickest and easiest way or whatever message has been understood by you, the child does know that, um, that you have previously understood their their sign for more and now suddenly you're asking them to, to say it again, even though they have already asked for that. So we want to use the other systems to expand on the message and to show them something different to say with it rather than continually teaching several ways to learn to learn something they can already say. And the other thing with uh, children with cerebral palsy <coughs> using keyword sign, as I uh, said before, they may not produce the sign in exactly the same way that we would produce it because of their motor difficulties. Uh, they may not be able to get their hands in the right shape and do the exact movement that it, that is in the dictionary, but it's important for us to still accept that uh, that attempt at communication and make that communication in, um, exchange uh, successful and for us just to model the correct sign back to them. So we can still model the correct sign for more back to them, but we would still obviously uh, accept their communication attempt. With rapidly changing technology, in the area of AAC, there's always something new. So it's hard to believe that The iPad's only been around for about five years, but since that time, it's really changed the way that uh, not only uh, that we work with uh, the children, because it's really meant that the availability and affordability of tablet devices, such as the iPad, there, there are others, and apps has brought AAC more into the mainstream. So we have people who have been reluctant to try these communication devices in the past that may have been a big clunky you know, device that um, looked different. Now it's a mainstream piece of technology that they're willing to take out in their environment and it won't make them look any more different. Um, so we've also got parents who come along with the with the iPad uh, because of its affordability and the apps are so much more affordable than some of the devices that were around when it first came out. Um, you know, you could be paying anywhere 
upwards of ten to 20000 for a communication device back in the day. Um, it's really brought the affordability of these AAC devices down. And it, with that has been the birth of hundreds and hundreds of apps that are out there. So how do we as therapists keep on top of all of these apps that are being released? It's really difficult. Um, and each of them have their own uh, set of features that need to be matched to the individual. So it is really difficult to keep on track on top of all of this technology. And this is just for one tool. So for the iPad, for example, there are other communication devices that have whole other language systems involved. So it really does need um, someone who can work through the options, who can match the features that the child brings, the skills that the child brings and the abilities that the child brings to the features of the, of the tool or of the device and, and bring them together and make a good match. And despite the confusion over the variety of technologies available, they have already shown benefits for children with disabilities. Um, it's increased awareness and social acceptance of AAC. Uh, you know, children are going into schools with their tablet technology and not looking any different to the child next to them using their iPad. Uh, it's consumer. It, it's led to in consumer empowerment. So, as I said, we're we're having um, parents come to us with these affordable devices with an app that they've downloaded and saying, "Let's try this for my child." And so, which is not always fabulous, but at least it's an in for AAC. It's a it's a way to start using AAC because then, of course, you need to be um, considering whether that app is the correct one for that per, for that child. Increased adoption of technology in general. Um, so, and we've also seen that some of those big clunky pieces of equipment that really looked different have now become a lot more streamlined to be in line with that tablet technology, to look similar to that tablet technology. So it's actually had a really uh, good effect on, on the devices that are out there um, and, and the, the whole look of those communication devices. One technology Gemma talked about specifically is called eye gaze. So for those of you um, that might not be familiar with eye gaze, it's, it's another method of access that allows um, a child or an adult to use their communication device with their eyes. So it's a really amazing technology. Um, obviously, like anything, um, it has its challenges um, as well. I've tried it myself and it's, it's really tiring. Um, I think it requires quite a bit of um, practice to get really good at. Uh, but you can, um, there are a number of suppliers um, in Melbourne and in Australia of these dedicated eye gaze systems. Uh, so Zytec, Link AT and Liberator are the places to get in contact with if you want to trial an eye gaze device or to learn more about that. And whilst uh, Gemma's talking about access methods, it's important to uh, also talk about the access methods around uh, tablet technology because if you look at the iOS operating system, so uh, for the iPad, iPhone, etc., they've really got a lot of accessibility settings in the general settings of the device that will allow people with limited movement to access the device. So things such as um, uh, assistive touch where if I have either a head pointer or a finger uh, that I can use to accurately um, access my device, assistive touch will allow me to perform any function on the device, so turn the volume up, turn the volume down, switch it on, switch it off, etc., just with the use of one pointer. So that uh, opens up the doors for a number of people who can't manipulate the, the switches on the side of the device or turn the buttons on or off or... or, um, or pinch the screen to get into another app or swipe the screen, for example. It can all be done with the use of one pointer. 
The Scope website at scopevic.org.au has lots of resources and links to apps and information we haven't had time to mention in this episode. So head over there to find out more. Gemma winds up with this advice. I guess our our main advice would be it's never too early to start. So we know that people, um, particularly talking about children with cerebral palsy, that gross motor development is is a really big one um, in the early days. Uh, But we would really strongly encourage people to be thinking about communication from the beginning and really getting in there and getting started with an alternative system. Um, And if you don't end up needing it, then that's that's fantastic. Um, But if not, then you've you've really built those language skills uh, from the beginning, just like we're doing with typically developing children. Um, so again, I think we've, we've said it enough, but there are no prerequisite skills to use AAC. It doesn't depend on being able to control a complex system or, or device. Uh, it doesn't delay speech development. And we know that the children tend to choose the form of communication that comes easiest to them. Um, and often that is speech. So where to start? Uh, We would always encourage people to be in touch with a speech pathologist who understands AAC. Uh, For children with cerebral palsy and other physical disabilities, uh, collaborating with an occupational therapist and a physiotherapist, particularly around seating, positioning, all of those sorts of things. Um, I couldn't be without the the OTs and physios that that support me. Um, So really um, tapping into all of those resources um, as well. Thank you for listening to the Centre of Research Excellence in Cerebral Palsy podcast. You can contact us via our website, crecp.org.au. For more information on AAC, you can contact SCOPE via email on circ, that's C-I-R-C, at scopevic.org.au or at their website. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast in your podcast app to make sure you don't miss an episode. Trixie Studio.